Heavenly Father, we just thank you that this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And God, we just come before you now today and just pray, Lord, for your blessing to be upon us. May your word enrich our hearts. May your spirit, Lord, give us life and vision and focus, especially at this time. So we come before you now, O God, and just pray for your blessing to be upon us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together. Well, it's great to be with you again today, and it's always a privilege to come and share the word of the Lord. And on this Sunday, this is the final study that we're going to be doing based on the book of Nehemiah. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the whole theme of restoration. And when the Bible talks about restoration, what we understand it to mean is that when God restores something, what we end up with in the end is far better than what we had in the beginning. Sometimes the word restoration can mean, well, you restore something to its original condition, which is true, whether that be furniture, whether that be a house, whether that be something of material value, you tend to restore it to be what it was originally intended to be. But when God restores, he doesn't take us back, he takes us ahead. He doesn't turn the clock back to what we would have been, but rather he takes us on a journey to become something greater than what we ever were before. So when we talk about the restoration of Jerusalem, both its temple and its gates and its walls, at that time God raised up three prophets, didn't he? Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi. And they all talked about the fact that God had a greater work to accomplish. Zechariah said these words, it's not by might, nor by power, but it is by the Holy Spirit. Another prophet talked about the fact that the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former house. Now, even though the temple that was reconstructed in those days wasn't a patch on Solomon's temple, God had a bigger plan in store, didn't he? And it wasn't a man-made building, it was the living word of God. It was the word made flesh. It was the church. So as we understand all of these things, when God says he wants to restore us, it means he wants to take us on a journey that takes us where we've never been before in order to experience what we've never experienced before. Now today I want us to look, as the theme suggests, at the gates of Jerusalem. Now we know that when Nehemiah came and oversaw the rebuilding of the walls and those gates, he started out by inspecting the city under the shadow of darkness. The Bible says of Nehemiah that he pondered things in his own heart. He kept things to himself. He looked and he waited upon the Lord. And then he organised different teams of families and tribes to each focus on a different part of the wall. And over a period of 52 days, the walls and the gates of Jerusalem were fulfilled and restored. That was a miracle in itself because there was opportunity, there was opposition, 
There were those who wanted to frustrate the rebuilding programme. There were those who wanted to undermine the confidence of the Jewish people. There were those who sought to attack the very bedrock of faith. But even in the midst of all of this, God's work was accomplished. Now, as we read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we're told that actually there were ten gates that were restored. Each gate was assigned to a different tribal group or family. And these were the gates that were listed in anti-clockwise order. If you read chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah itself, there was first of all the sheep gate. Then to the left there was the fish gate, the old city gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate and the inspection gate. And you can read of those gates actually in the book of Nehemiah itself. Now, the Dung Gate was located at the southern western edge of the city next to the Valley of Hinnom. All the waste and garbage from the city was taken through this gate and dumped into the valley below. The westward wind would ensure that any odours were blown eastward. That's why if you go to Jerusalem today, the cemetery is located on the Mount of Olives, due east of the city. And the reason for that is because usually weather patterns mean that the wind comes from the west, goes across the city and takes any odours from the cemetery across into the wilderness area. And that was true also for the Dungate itself. It was located in a way whereby all the waste and the garbage from the city was taken through this gate and it was dumped in the Valley of Hinnom. Where interestingly enough, when Jesus referred to hell as a place where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fire would burn continually, Jesus used the rubbish tip of the city as an illustration of the judgment of God and the fire of God upon sin. Now in terms of the gate itself, dung is hardly an exciting name, is it? It's not a glamorous title for a gate, but... Its purpose was very, very important. And this reminds us of so many different spiritual truths that we can actually apply to our lives. And this is what I wanted to share with you here today. Now, as we look at this picture on the screen, that was what the city of Jerusalem looked like in the days of Nehemiah. A lot different to what it looks like today. But as you can see, the Temple Mount is at the top with the Temple, and then you come all the way down to the bottom, and right in the far bottom left-hand corner of that photograph was located the Dungate. And as you can see from the picture on the right, again, the Dungate was located right at the bottom of the city. And through that gate, the waste of the whole city was carried. Now that was important for a number of different reasons. For the health of the city, for the strength of the city, but actually as part of the reconstruction of this city, there had to be a way to dispose of garbage and waste products. Now, I remember when I left school in 1981, we moved from Port Maddock down to Morphebuchen, and my mum and dad bought a bungalow on a new build housing estate. So the houses were still under construction. So I managed to get myself a job on this building site. 
We were there for about a year until we then moved to Llandudno. So I landed a job working, not as an apprentice, but I was a bit of a gopher. I made the coffee and all of those sort of things. I was 17 at the time. But one of the things that they got me involved with is actually laying the footings for these bungalows. That was to mark out the foundation, to be part of the team that sort of constructed the foundations of the houses. Now, one of the things that was central to that process was putting in all the pipes and the sewage in order for the water to flow, for the waste to be disposed of, and that was an integral part of laying foundations. They all went into the building process of the house itself. In other words, you don't build a house, then finish it, and then decide, right, where's the bathroom going to go? Where should we put the toilet? Where do we put the sink? All of those things are built into the foundation of the building. And what we need to understand here is that God was saying something very spiritual about the importance of a healthy city needing a way in order to dispose of waste products. So everything that was junk and rubbish and garbage went through the Dungate. Now, as we take that picture, I think we can apply it even in our own lives. I remember when I was growing up, my grandparents lived in a place called Erdington in Birmingham. This was when I was about five and six. And every time I went into the bathroom, they had this cabinet on the wall. So I always used to open the doors of the cabinet and see what was inside it. And I often went to my grandmother and I said, Grandma, or Nana as we called her, what is that jar of white powder in the cupboard in the bathroom? And she never wanted to tell me. She said, oh, that's for older people. And I was fascinated by this because in those days, there were certain rooms in the house that you couldn't go in. We weren't allowed in the front room apart from on a Sunday. There was bedrooms upstairs that we weren't allowed to go in. So naturally, when you're told not to go anywhere, you always want to go where you can't go. And this cupboard had this jar of white powder. There was a label on the jar that said, Andrew's liver salts. Now, who remembers those? Okay, I won't ask who's ever used those, but then I found out that there's a reason why that was in the bathroom cabinet. And it was to do with a person's health. I don't need to describe it too much, but I'm sure you all understand what Andrew's liver salts are for. It's the C word, isn't it? Constipation. So that was something that used to fascinate me, and it was only years later that they actually explained what it was all about. But as we take that picture and we apply it to our lives, if we look at our own physicality, we have a liver and we have a kidney, don't we? What purpose do they serve? Well, they serve to ensure the health of the body, to deal with things, what we eat, that whole process. And yet problems can arise in our lives if our liver and kidney are not working properly. 
Now, obviously, with Andrew's liver salts, forgive the illustration, but actually, it was all about constipation. And as we understand that principle, even as believers, are there times when spiritually we get constipated? Or churches get constipated? Now, what does that mean in reality? Well, it simply means that very often we struggle to deal with things that need to be resolved. Things build up in our lives. And we become offended and hindered. Even churches can face this. And I've come across many churches over the time that I've been in ministry whereby churches struggle with certain things, unable to resolve certain issues. But that's why we all need a Dungate. And that's what I wanted to share with you here today. Now, in the book of Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 7 and verse 1, it says this. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the body of Christ has got a liver and kidneys. It has a way in and of itself in order for the body to be cleansed and detoxed. Do you understand that picture here this morning? What's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. That God has a way of dealing with issues within the church. So Jerusalem needed a dungate. Every church needs a dungate. We all as individuals need a way of allowing the Lord to work through our lives to cleanse us and to purify us. The Bible says that by the word of God, we are washed. We are cleansed. The word of the Lord is God's means of grace to detox the body of Christ. And this is really what I wanted to share with you here today. That as believers, part of a healthy life, part of a healthy walk with God, is the ability to deal with issues. That's why in the body of Christ we have a liver and a kidneys. The vital organs of faith that help us process issues and deal with them accordingly. And the Bible deals with this on so many occasions, doesn't it? Talks about forgiveness, walking in unity. It talks about walking in love. It talks about not bearing grudges or holding things against others. Because if we hang on to these things as Christians, we can become so easily spiritually constipated. But God wants us to be a people who walk in the light as He is in the light. And God works through us. That doesn't mean to say that offences won't come our way. Jesus says they will. But what we need to do is to know how to work that through so that when offences do come, we allow the grace of God to work in and through our lives so that we are continually purified. The things don't get bottled up. Things don't remain. We let things go. We allow the Spirit of the Lord 
to keep us whole and healthy. So I want to look at three areas that I believe can help us when it comes to, as it were, a spiritual detox. Three areas of our lives that we must continually bring before the Lord to ensure that we're walking in health and in strength. The first one is the head. I love what it says in Romans 12. It talks about that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's where the battleground is. The thought life. That's where very often the fiery darts of the enemy will attack. What goes on between our two ears. What is going on today as we reflect and think and reason and try to make sense of the will and purpose of the Lord. But our minds need to be continually renewed and in doing so we are transformed. Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we have a choice here this morning, don't we? On what or on who do we set our minds? Well, Paul says, on things above. That's the heavenly realm of faith. If our minds are set on anything other than heavenly things, then we're going to get stuck. We're going to get bogged down. We will remain in an attitude that is not in keeping or in alignment to the will and purpose of the Lord. The word set there is the same word that's used in the book of Revelation chapter 4, whereby John had this vision of a throne that had been set in heaven, established, rooted and grounded. Singleness of purpose is what Paul is talking about here. As indeed in Romans 8 and verse 6, he goes on to say that for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So you have a choice this morning. What are we going to set our minds on? To be heavenly minded means that we have life and peace. To set our minds on the spirit is what brings true liberty. But to set our minds on earthly things, what does it produce? A stink, a pungent smell, the build-up of toxicity and a lack of faith and vision. And the choice is ours here this morning in terms of what is our mind fixed upon. So in terms of cleansing, part of the dungate in the life of a believer and the church is the renewal of the mind. We must continually come before the Lord and allow him to work his grace through. We may not have any control over what happens to us, but we do have a control over how we respond to what happens to us. Circumstances might be outside of your control, but how we actually respond to those circumstances is very much within the realm of our understanding and strength. So it's all about the mind, isn't it? Our minds have to be renewed to the Word of God on a daily basis. The head is where it all begins. Then the heart. In Proverbs 4 and verse 23, it says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow 
the springs of life. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of your mouth overflows from the inner well of what's in your heart. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, it says, doesn't it? But when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the reservoir of grace, out of which everything flows. So the writer is saying, you've got to protect your heart. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. You have to guard your heart. You have to protect it like an army protects a city. You have to garrison about your heart continually. Because the enemy wants to break through. He wants to knock down those walls. He wants to destroy the gates. He wants to invade the sacred territory of your own life. But we have to guard our hearts. As Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now he says that, having said something very important. He says, look, don't worry about anything, but by prayer and supplication make your request known unto the Lord, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts. So it's all about right thinking, it's all about right living, and Paul then goes on to say that whatever you have heard me teach, put it into practice right living and that is God's strategy for us to live a life free from the grip of anxiety and worry so our hearts need to be detoxed this like the mind is a daily challenge that we face this is why the word of the Lord is so clear that the washing of the word of God cleanses us That's the dungate in operation in the life of the church. For the city to remain healthy, to prevent the spread of disease and infection and all sorts of things, there had to be a place where the waste products of the city could be taken out and burned in the valley. If the gates of the dungate had been locked, then the refuge would pile up and infection would spread within the life of the city and people would become ill and ultimately die. So God makes a provision for us here today. It's called the Dungate. It's the liver and the kidneys within the body of Christ so that we might walk in health and wholeness. Then we move on to the third point, which is hands. The psalmist asked the question, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. It's a familiar passage of scripture this, isn't it? Who is it that can ascend into God's presence? He whose hands are clean and whose heart is pure. Its head, its heart, its hands. 
And what God wants to do continually amongst us is to keep us healthy as the body of Christ. To keep his church healthy. And a healthy church is one that has a dungate. A place where issues can be resolved. Health can be found. And we move forward in a spirit of unity and faith. And I just wanted to share this with you here today as we come around the table of the Lord. This is a sacred moment as we come to what the word of the Lord says. Paul says, what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Paul only ministered out of the overflow of what God had put into his heart. There were no blockages in his heart. There was no stumbling blocks. He freely received and freely gave. And then Paul goes on to say, Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread. And he said, as often as you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. And afterwards it says that Jesus took the cup. And after he blessed it, Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. But Paul goes on to say, he says, the when you come, examine your own heart. As the high priest used to examine the lamb to ensure that it was without defect. So we are to examine ourselves here today. And that's what I want us to do, just over the next few moments, to examine ourselves, our head, our heart, our hands. Is there any part of our life that needs a real detox, the cleansing flow of God's river? So we just want to wait upon the Lord and...